Duff. Good morning. Are we all good? Great. A few of you. Excellent. Okay. Yeah, first of all, thank you for the uh, warm welcome. No pressure. Um, I'm, sure, uh, I'm sure God will have his, uh, have his way with us all this morning. Um, I just want to first of all just say a, a massive thank you for the warmth of welcome to myself and my team here. Um, yeah, we are we're just a bunch of people who have met this guy called Jesus, who have a passion to see the local church make a difference in their community and together make a difference in the world. Really, that's who we are. That's what we are. That's what we do. But for me to be here in this church... Um, hey, uh, we planted a local church eight years ago, myself and Lizzie, another couple in Bradford, which by the way, obviously when Jesus comes back, he'll come there first, he may come to Cambridge second, but anyway, um, when we started that church, um, we just had a really simple heart, we wanted to build a church that Jesus would be proud of, uh, in the sense of him being able to come and by his spirit see a church that really does believe that it should make a difference in their community, that it really has got a heart for the poor, that actually does the stuff, doesn't just talk about it and sing about it and pray about it whilst all that is important. And here in this church, um, hey, I know you've been here a year, I hope you're not yet taking any of this for granted, amen? Yeah, if you are, just have a word with yourself. You can't take this for granted, um, but the thing that really excites me about this church is yes, you are outrageously blessed with a phenomenal resource this church is it's a landmark not only a landmark building but it's a landmark in the church across the UK people talk about you in other churches about what you do but it's not just your building they talk about they talk about the fact that you use the building and you use the blessing and you lose the resources but you use it to reach out to people in your community that's that's really really fantastic and of course as you will hear that resonates with who I am. So I feel like I'm at home and I feel like I'm amongst friends. So today I'm going to share my testimony, the testimony of Christians Against Poverty. Um, my heart is that I am going to, yeah, by his spirit, that I'm going to inspire you and encourage you and I'm going to push you a little bit as well. Is everybody okay for that? Okay, we'll get a few more yeses later on, hopefully. A few people going, I'm not sure who this guy is. I don't care whether I'm not sure I want to be pushed or not. Hey, it's Holy Spirit that pushes you, not me. We're going to celebrate um, uh, what God has done and I have, we have two really clear distinctive messages. So the first message that you should hear loud and clear, and this is to you as an individual, this is to you as a church, this is to anybody who is involved in anything that this church is doing. Listen, with Jesus, you can change stories, okay? With Jesus, you, not the person next to you. You can change stories. That is our message to churches around the world. That is our message to anybody who will listen. That is a message to our 1,000 frontline workers here in the UK. That is our message to our 28,000 regular givers. That is our message to government. That is our message to anybody who listen. that with Jesus, you can change stories. And the second message, which is equally powerful, but without the first, is never going to get out there, is to the poor and needy, to the broken, the lost, the abandoned is that with Jesus, your story can change. That is our essential message. And I hope, uh, God willing, by his spirit, that you'll feel and see not only my own story that's been changed, but will inspire that no one is beyond the redeeming love of God. No life cannot be changed by his power. No life cannot be changed by a church who loves them, by a community that cares. And I hope and pray that you'll be inspired actually go and do something. Amen? Amen. I just, you know, please don't just sit there going, 
this is okay. It's not meant to be okay. It's meant to challenge you. It's meant to get in there. And it's meant to give you a kick up the blessed backside to get off and get up and go and do something. Everybody okay now? Yes. Getting better. Right. Okay. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray. Eyes to see. Eyes open. I pray that eyes will see. Father, that minds will comprehend. And hearts will receive. And ears will hear what you have for everybody in this building, Father. And we give you all the glory and the honor. We ask that by your Holy Spirit you do some work with us this morning. I pray you brush away some judgment, Father. I pray that you brush away some apathy. I pray that you would inspire some action. I pray that you would inspire that with Jesus, everyone can be involved in changing stories, Lord. And for anybody in this building who does not know you, we pray that they would hear the message by your spirit that with Jesus, their story can change. That you love them and you care for them and that your spirit would be honoured in everything we say, in every thought we have and everything we do as a result of this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I'm going to give you an opportunity at the end to get involved in all the things that are taking place here in the church that are reaching the poor. We've got our debt centre, we've got a job club, a release group. I'll explain those briefly and a life skills uh, programme opening soon. Um, We want you to kind of get involved. There's so many great things happening in this church, but great things need great people. Okay, and great people are just people who do something. That's the difference. Great people do something, not great people don't do anything. It's not that difficult, it's just doers. If you do something then you are great in God's eyes. Whatever you do, God is with you. So before I go any further, I'm going to talk about this amazing guy called Jesus. You'll probably gather I'm not exactly backward in giving a little bit of a shout out for what he's done in my life, what he's done in CAP. I just think he's unbelievably amazing. But you need to hear my heart. Anything good in anything that I speak about, any miracle of what he's done in CAP, any transformation in my own life, anything that is praiseworthy, every church that partnered with us, every life that is reached, every poor person whose poverty has been relieved, everybody who's found Christ, every single person discipled, the only thing that has made that possible is Jesus Christ in us and through us. He gets all the glory and all the honour and all the praise. And it's the same for you. Amen? Any good in you, any good thinking, any compassion, any heart, any generosity any servant-heartedness. It's Jesus Christ in you. It's not you. The other stuff's you. Amen? For the good stuff, the good stuff's Jesus. Amen? So let's just give him a clap before we go any further. Thank you, Lord. Great. So, my testimony, unsurprisingly, as founder of Christians Against Poverty, kind of reflects much of my own message and much of the message of Christians Against Poverty. So, um, let me walk, walk you through it. Um, I was born into a, a loving family. Um, uh, we, weren't, uh, we weren't the poorest family. We certainly weren't the richest family. Um, I came a little bit late uh, into the family. I wasn't a mistake. I was a surprise. <laughs> That's what my mum said. Um, I think we've got a picture of my dad on screen. Uh, my dad was just astonishing. He was a very gentle, caring. I was the son he'd always wanted, and he certainly... Uh, dedicated his life to me, his son. He was a constant source of love, support, encouragement. He was, he was a, just a, a really, really great guy. And see that I didn't catch any of them fish, by the way, but he said I could. He was that kind of guy. Very gentle spirit. Idyllic life until 11. Age 11, my dad became, ultimately, was to become terminally ill. Um, my life was shattered. The idyllic, everything went. He was off work. It all imploded. Um, I didn't know what was going on. He was in hospital 
eight, nine, ten months a year, many operations. My mother was decimated. Family was really, really grim. Um, I suffered from dyslexia. Um, I've been deemed, I've been deemed to be special needs. I think that's the phrase they use now. They put me in a special classroom in a little port cabin in the middle of the playground. Thanks. Yeah. Um, pretty grim. As of the time, by the time I got to 14, 15, um, I'd lost the plot. Uh, yeah, deeply angry inside. Um, I was introduced to drink too soon and other things. Uh, I became a very angry and a very violent uh, young man involved in some pretty grim uh, outbursts of violence, both damaging myself and others. Yeah. I left school at 15. Um, I wasn't, I couldn't spell, but I was definitely entrepreneurial. And something was in me that kind of drew me to survive, really. I think that's how I would best describe it. I know it's Jesus' spirit, but I didn't know it was him. Um, I left school. I basically made up a national insurance number and changed my date of birth to get a job. So one of you might have my national insurance contributions. <laughs> Although I assure you they won't make any difference. Started putting lids on paintings. That was my first job in a paint factory. Uh, the paint factory actually was quite a violent place in itself. But I used to put lids on paintings. And then I became a lidder. After a lidder, I became a stacker. And I finally became a filler. So that promotion was in me right from the beginning. Um, aged 18, my dad always got better. And then one day he didn't. My dad died. Um, my mum was... It was just catastrophic for us. Um, I went more off the rails... My mum suffered um, from severe mental illness and a year later the authorities came into our home and they sectioned my mum and they took her away. Um, the truth is, physically I could have stopped them, trust me. But I had nothing left. I had nothing left in me. They took her away, they placed her in an institution. They opened a file. I was 18 years and six months old and they shut the file. They walked out of the house and they just left me. First time in my life that I experienced um, deep loneliness, deep sadness, waves of guilt for the son I'd been to my father. I didn't look after my mum in that year neither. I was mixed up and broken. Desperate times. Somehow I, knew, somehow I, just, I, I just couldn't roll over. I don't know that's the best way to describe it. So I needed to get a better job, which wasn't difficult. So I got a job. Um, as a door-to-door -door loan salesman and debt collector uh, in, the, in my hometown of Bradford. Um, that was one tough job. Um, I was equipped for the job, um, and that's where my love of running came from as well. <laughs> and somehow, I kind of did really well. Um, my parents had put some good things in me. I was a decent guy underneath, and I did... Yeah, I was good to the people that worked with me. I was promoted. I worked hard. I somehow managed to do a very difficult job in a really good way. Um, I changed some of the things that we did. I now know that God began to bless it, although I didn't know God at the time. And my career exploded. So I went from the bottom of the finance industry in 12 years' time. I ended up being part of a team of people who were recruited by major PLCs, insurance and finance companies, to build UK finance companies from scratch. Um, a phenomenal 
yeah, for monorail growth for me, I always laugh. In fact, it's great to be in Kmart. I can laugh even more, but we used to be in these big board meetings where companies would hire us to go and do it, and they'd all get all the, they'd be talking about their sort of BSCs in, uh, I don't know what they are, business administration from Oxford and Cambridge. I had a cycling proficiency test, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> but as you'll see, God's also got a sense of humor with some of that stuff. So, all looked good. Early 90s, earning big money, big house, big car, big garden, married, two kids. On the outside, it looked really well. But underneath that veneer of success was a really, really, really broken, broken, young, broken guy. Um, I was still broken inside. Um, and it played out in loads of different ways. I wasn't the best husband I could have been to my first wife. Um, the truth is I wasn't the best father I could have been to my two beautiful girls. I got involved in unsuccessful business ventures. I borrowed heavily. I didn't manage my money well. I was still mixed up. And basically, I lost a lot. I'm just going to read. Um, this is uh, my autobiography called Nevertheless. Um, we've got enough. Uh, I think we've got enough for everybody to have a free copy. I'll explain how I can get it. It's basically my diary. So this is the diary of my life. It was printed six years ago. Um, and I'm just going to read from this. So this is 1992. Over the next year, I gradually fell apart. I was a completely broken man living in a shell and totally lost. I looked after my little girls, Jasmine and Jessica, aged seven and four. I lived in one room of a friend's house. When the girls stayed with me, I used to use camp beds in that one small room. I would often cry looking at them both asleep next to me. The word destitute is often overused, but that's what I became. Utterly devoid of any spirit, hurting, lonely, and very, very afraid. We were very poor as a family. It was a real struggle for me. I was mixed up and broken with what was happening, crippled by debts, practically and emotionally. Yeah. The picture that I'm just going to pop on screen now is of that room. Um, so that's where my life ended up. Those are my two little girls. Those are their camp beds. There's my bed. And the truth is, there's nothing, there's nothing good about being poor. There's nothing good about putting things back on a supermarket shelf when people are judging you. There's nothing good about knowing whether you're going to be able to feed your kids. There's nothing good about having birthday parties where you were so ashamed of what you could do. There's nothing good about being judged by everybody. There's nothing good about being abandoned by everybody. And I was. I was abandoned. Only my mum, bless her, stayed with me but couldn't do anything. And my two little girls stayed with me and we held together. And it was grim and I was broken and there was no hope for me. But then in the midst of all this, I met this slightly strange guy. He'd read the same Bible that I've now come to love. He'd read the Bible that says that you shouldn't judge people. He'd read the Bible that says you should love the poor. He'd read Matthew 25 that it said that if you're hungry, you give people something to drink. And if you're, thirsty, if you're hungry, something to eat. And if you're thirsty, something to drink. If you're a stranger, you'd invite them in. If you're in prison, you'd go and visit them. And the righteous will say, Lord, when did we see you like that? And he said, I'll tell you what you did for the least of these brothers of mine. You did for me he showed me the love of Christ he believed in me when I didn't believe in myself he was so gracious and so kind to us he would invite me out I remember the yeah he invited me to a barbecue 
And I had to say to him, I can't, he had to just take him outside, outside on one side. I just said, Paul, I can't, I'm, I can't come to your barbecue. I haven't got anything to bring you. But I can't bring anything. I'm nothing. I have nothing. And he said, don't worry. You just come. You just bring your little girls. We'll look after you. And he did. And they cared for me and they showed me showed me the love of Jesus Christ. Then he asked me one Sunday, well, he asked me on a Thursday, would you like to come to church? I went, yeah. Whatever you've got, I'll have. Please let me come to church. I went to church. I heard people talking about this bloke called Jesus and I thought, I need him. I yielded to his love, his spirit. He flooded me with his grace and forgiveness, which he still does to this day. And I accepted Christ as my personal saviour. Here's a picture of me coming out of my baptism. Um, Yeah. That fist. Yeah. There's a lot in that fist. There was a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. A lot of guilt and shame in that fist. There's also a lot of hope. There's a lot of hope in that fist that with Jesus, my story could change. There was a lot of hope belief that my life was not over because everybody else said it was there was a belief that I could bring my children up well, that I could be a good father could live again, there was a lot of hope in that fist, and the girl with the blonde hair looking on is my eldest daughter who'd seen her father and her life and our life be decimated seeing him begin to live again and begin to hope, the truth is first two years was a very difficult two years for me and my children we expect people to find Christ on Tuesday. We expect them in a midweek group on Wednesday. We expect them to be in church on Sunday, tithing by Monday, you know, serving by Tuesday. Oh, I was clinging on. But so much guilt and shame in me and on me. And it was every day I got up and I saw it. I had massive debts. I was hounded by debt collectors. But this Jesus never left me, never went away from me, always forgave me. People stood by me, no one wrote me off this, kept believing. And slowly but surely, God rebuilt me from the inside out. I'm not the John Kirkby of 1992, I'm born again, I'm a new creation in him. He has rebuilt me from the inside out, but it is by his grace and it is through his church and it is through compassion and it is through grace that God changes a story in a willing heart, which I definitely had. So two years in, I started I start playing in praise and worship because the praise and worship was so bad, I had to pick a guitar up, but I did. I used to be in a rock band. I used to remember going up to the pastor and going, seriously, mate, give me a guitar. I can do better than that. Not here, by the way. I don't want a guitar here. I could never do better than that. So I started worshiping, playing in a worship band, started serving, da-da-da-da, slowly, 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 slowly. Then I met my beautiful wife, Lizzie. She was a, a young, she's younger than me. She was a beautiful, beautiful single Christian girl. Uh, I often joke, waiting for a knight in shining armor to ride into her life. Any young ladies amongst us here, waiting for a knight in shining armor, be careful, because basically this old bloke on a donkey with two followers sort of trudged into her life, okay? So be careful what you pray. I was the most uneligible bachelor. You know, they have the eligible bachelor. I was the most uneligible. He's got two kids. He's got loads of debts. He's got really nowhere to live. His job's not that good, uh, and he's only known Christ for two years, and as you can see, it's been a bit of a struggle. Would have been my CV. <laughs> but God uses people to change stories, and Lizzie was very much, very much a big part of that. First person to really believe in me, first person to love me for who I was, first person to embrace my two little girls. Amazing, amazing, amazing lady. So two years later, we decided we'd get married. By now things have began to change. 
My career was back on the up. I was a different creation. Um, the success I was now achieving was really making a difference. So I was in control of my money. I managed to get a home. I remember the first night my girls had their own bedroom to sleep in. I remember the first Christmas when I could provide for people to come for Christmas dinner. I remember the first birthday party. I wasn't ashamed of the present I bought my children. I remember the first time I was in a supermarket. My girls stopped asking me for anything. They never asked me for anything. No sweets, no comics, nothing, nothing. Because they knew I had nothing. I remember the first time in a supermarket. I said to my girls, you can have a magazine. I remember the first time we did a, you know, pick a mix. And they went for the small one. And I said, you can have the big one. I know what it is to be redeemed by God. I know what it is to see your poverty changed. And it's breathtaking. Whilst walking with Christ and finding him, amazing. So, 96. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it is. I mean, it's so hilarious. It, it could only be God. But we decided to get, me and Liz were getting married. My career was on the up. I'd just been offered a, a serious director level job. We were planning the wedding. And I went into work. And God said, do you remember when you were really desperate, you said you'd do anything I asked you to do? Anybody else been there recently? Be careful what you promise. So he just said to me really gently, John, Johnny boy, how about me and you helping the poor? I went, sounds better than what I do now. So I went home, we were organizing the, <laughs> the seating for the wedding. And we're going, oh, Auntie Margaret here, Uncle Jack here, Uncle Philip. Susan and I leant in and went, I think God's asked me to give him a job up to help the poor. And where should we put Jeffrey? And uh, <laughs> it's amazing. A couple of days in, we just knew God had called us. So I resigned, gave my job up. We got married, came home, started cap. We had 10 pounds. Somebody gave us 10 quid and we started cap. And here's a picture of me in my little office. Um, you'll notice, if you can see it, that I couldn't even spell Christians. But listen, it's not how you spell it. It's how you live it. It's how you reflect it. It's what's the center of who you are and what you do. And this is where it all began. And it has been amazing. I went out onto the streets of Bradford, started helping poor and needy people. I saw some real desperate times. Yeah, you can read in the book some of the stuff that happened. But one of my clients was Debbie. She was amazing. Um, she was a single parent, abandoned by her husband, massively in debt. She couldn't afford to feed her kids properly. She used to give them dumplings on an evening that would almost swell up in the stomach so they wouldn't be hungry overnight. She had nothing. And I went in, and I could do the debt counselling. I could do debt counselling, I knew how to do that. I'd done, done it myself. But I couldn't bring what Jesus could bring. Only Jesus could change her story. Only Jesus could do the miracle. Only Jesus could redeem her circumstances. And I still to this day, as my wife works as a job club coach and I still go out with clients, I still hope that I carry the spirit of Jesus can change your story. Let's watch the screens. I sent a, a DVD team out to ask Debbie if she'd tell you a lot and anybody else who'd listen what Jesus can do generationally about changing stories. 20 years later, watch the screens. I mean, listen church. You might think you're doing a debt center. You might think you're doing a job club. You might think you're doing a release group. You might think you're doing a food bank. All the amazing other poor, poor things you do to help the poor, you're not. 
You're changing stories with Jesus. You're changing lives. There will be generations that will come through that will thank you a church for what you did with their parents 20 years from now. They will. This is really crucial stuff. We're not messing about. Jesus has called us to help the poor. And CAP has seen a remarkable growth in the last 20 years. I'll do this pretty quickly. Um, So from me in a little home office with £10, a wife who believed in me, and a mum who said, what are you doing? But I'm with you. We've seen astonishing things. So here in the UK, we now have uh, 303 debt centres. We're now the largest provider of in-house debt counselling to the poor in the UK. The church. We don't do anything unless it's through churches. The church is the largest provider of that. Also, CAP Money, 800 CAP Money education centres, the largest provider of face-to-face financial education in the UK. The church, the largest provider. We've got 160 job clubs already, uh, reaching thousands of people. The largest non-government funded group of job clubs in the UK with the marginalised people. The church. This is the church in the UK. And our life skills programme, giving urgent, needed, much, yeah much sought after basic life skills to people who've never had the chance of somebody telling them. It's, it's a phenomenal thing that God has done. Thousands and thousands of people. And CAP works. We've all together, if you add it all up, we've got 572 church-based centres. We've seen over 30,000 people a year. And through our debt work alone, every day we see 12 to 15 people going debt-free every working day. 12 to 15 people getting a phone call telling them they're debt-free. Our job clubs program has seen over a thousand people who've been unemployed for more than two years find work. Because Jesus changes stories. No one is beyond the redeeming power of Christ. Our release groups have seen a quarter of people be released from dependencies and addictions during an eight-week course. It's not the course, it's the church and it's people who believe that Jesus can change stories. Our life skills program, seeing people for the first time cooking a meal and having a meal with their children, learning how to engage with society, even though they're poor. It's a phenomenal thing. But we don't just do it to help the poor. Of course, we love our passion is to see people, but we do it also to share God's love. Um, I remember the first client I led to Christ 20 years ago. I was pretty slow off the mark. It took me four weeks to lean their first person to Christ. Every day in Christians Against Poverty, we're seeing between three and five people find Christ across the UK alone. In the last 12 months, we've seen a 1,000 Individuals not only have their lives transformed, but also have the redeeming power of Jesus Christ. Since we started, we're approaching 6,000 people who have learned to know, have come to know the redeeming power of Christ as their personal saviour. And they're being discipled into local church. It is a miracle. It's also gone around the world. We're in Australia, in every state. Um, In Canada, we launched three and a half years ago. In New Zealand, we're all actually bigger in New Zealand than we are in the UK, which is pretty annoying, but I'm going to go and slow them down later this year when I go out. (laughs) You know, worldwide. You know, can you believe it? Johnny Boy sat down with a tenor in a little office, and he can't even spell Christians with a tenor. But with Jesus, you can change stories. And that is what we are. This is why I'm passionate about this thing. This is, for me, until the last breath in my body, God willing, I want, to meet, I want to reach as many people as I can, as fast as I can. I want as many churches as I can. I want to see this thing grow. What? So we can have a big organization. Give me a break, man. We're not doing it for a big organization. We're doing it because Jesus has put a mandate on us to go out and bring people into the church and reach the poor and see people's lives transformed. 
I'm just going to put a couple of pictures up that, for me, say it all. So this is the first picture. This is, this is Jesus changing stories. There's Jasmine in that bed, in that one room, with a little, a little rabbit, with just a sleeping bag, a skanky sleeping bag to sleep in. We had nothing. We didn't. We had nothing in our lives. Look at her now. Look at her, full of the Spirit of God with my granddaughter, Rosie, and Sai, that picture alone tells you that no life is beyond the redeeming power. That picture alone tells you, amen, that lives can be transformed. And here's me with Rosie. Hey, your grandchildren are beautiful, intelligent, and amazing. Not as much as mine, they aren't. Look at her. Look at that. There's no poverty in my family. All our homes are secure. We're not in debt. Every single one of my five children are walking with Christ. The next generation, the next generation, moving on with their own calling and their own heart to see their help stories change. And then this last one, which is, again, just shows you that God's able to do abundantly more. And this is in December. So believe it or not, the smiling guy in the middle is me. Um, I was given an honorary doctorate uh, from Bradford University. So forget the... Forget that, I've only got a cycling proficiency. It's now Dr. John, although I don't use it, first of all, because I'm not bothered, but secondly, I'm frightened of being on a plane and somebody asking if there's a doctor on the plane. Uh, I can do debt, addictions, life skills, uh, but I can't do anything else. But, you know, look at that. I mean, come on, God. Come on. God can do that from a broken bloke. Amen? God can change lives. God can change lives. We've got a huge vision. Um, we really have. Um, I'm just going to uh, show this DVD and then I'm going to draw it to a close a few minutes after that. As you watch this DVD, my heart is that you will see the Jesus changing story spirit. That you will something by his spirit in you this morning will make you go, I am not going to go out of this place without doing something. And then I'm going to tell you what you can do and we're going to believe that we're going to see some fruit from today, not just being inspired by what God's done. Everybody okay for that? Father, I lift everybody here as we show the power of your Holy Spirit and of your church to change lives. And I pray, Father, when I come back, that we will all take a step this morning to make a difference in Jesus' name. You play that DVD, guys? Thank you. Great. Couple of little things there. First of all, I wonder whether I should put some subtitles on whenever I take Stuart lower than Nottingham. <laughs> Did you all understand what Stuart was saying? Yeah. Great. You, if he didn't say anything, you just look at his face. Just so you know, he, uh, you won't realise, but you know in the little clip about the job club, my wife uh, is a job club coach. And just to see her in the background there, yeah, it's just amazing. 20 years on her, she's still loving the poor. She's still passionate for seeing lives change. And I see Stuart in our church. I see him every Sunday. He's leading people to Christ. He's full of God's spirit. And just for one of these lives, they're worth it. But you as a church, you're doing this. I met some of, you, some of your debt clients this morning after the first service, speaking to this beautiful, lovely lady. She's walking with Christ. Her son has got a chance. And you've done that as a church. Well done. C3, well done pastors, well done for giving, well done for serving the poor in your community. So as I close, I want to ask you to do some things. First of all, um, I would ask you that um, you would do something more here in this church to serve the poor. We've got a stall outside and we've got some of your guys are there. Please don't walk out, walk that way. Offer to go and be a support worker. A couple of evenings, a afternoon every month. 
Offer to be a, someone who'll cook on a job club. For the job club, offer someone who'll just be a befriender. Go and offer. Go and be part of Jesus changing stories. Because with Jesus, you can change stories. Go and get involved. You'll never regret finding time to see the poor. Amen? And who cares about X Factor anyway? Yeah? So please go and join in more. Do more for what's happening here in the church. Please continue to be generous to give into this church. If you are not regular giving, if you're not generous into this church, you don't need to listen to this next bit because that's where you should be giving first. This church needs your resources to do what it's doing. But I would ask you, and again, I'm very grateful for the generosity of these guys here. Um, As an organization, um, we receive no government funding. Um, That allows us to be Christians against poverty, by the way. That allows us to only employ Christians. That allows us to offer to pray with everybody. There's a clue in the title. Amen? We've got over 28,000 people, sorry, 27,000 people who over the last 20 years have made a commitment to support our work with a regular donation. The average donation is just 50 pence per day, 15 pounds a month. I would ask you if you would consider supporting our work with a regular donation. Um, Whatever the amount, even two pounds, a pound a month, it doesn't matter. Would you please join us and help us to see this nation change? We're going to try and double in size in the next four years to a thousand centres. We do believe we're here for such a time like this. The headwinds are stronger than we would have expected. Okay? We need some help. So we'd really ask you to prayerfully consider joining in and giving a few pounds a month. We also have a centre sponsorship scheme. If you're able and willing to give more than that at 50 pounds a month, we're looking for some people to sponsor some of our centres. But the main thing is, go and get involved in CAP. Um, Nevertheless, it's free. We've also got Journeys of Hope. They're both free. These books are available. To get these books, you don't have to give us any money. You don't have to support us. Everybody hear that? Free books. Free books. But we would ask, if you do want a book, to begin to, uh, to put your name here so we know who you are, so we can keep in touch. I think that's a fair deal. Your name and details, so we can email you and keep in touch. Free books, do that. And if you do want to um, support us, you can see there the guys will explain how you do that. So just to just start maybe filling those forms, putting your name on that. I shared this morning uh, a verse that I got for you as a church. Um, interestingly, by the way, that's the verse I carry. I carry that verse on my hand. That's my verse that follows me. Isaiah 58, verse 9 to 12. Um, I carry it wherever I go, and I look down at it, and I know these promises are for me. They're also for you. They're for you as leaders and they're for this church. Because Isaiah 58 says, if you spend yourself on behalf of poor and needy, and you meet the needs of the oppressed, then the Lord will make your light shine. The Lord will guide you always. The Lord will provide for you in a sun-scorched earth. He will be, you will be like a, a spring Sorry, you were like a garden, like a flowing spring. I just pray that you would sense of God's delight over you. I pray as a church you just feel his love, just compassion and heart for what you do for people. You're not normal. This is not ordinary. You are leading the way. You are showing our nation. This church is spoken about because of your love for the poor, your passion to put them first and to continue to care that people find Christ and discipling and loving the unlovable in Jesus' name and believing that Jesus can change stories. And the final sense is, um, there's a verse that says, in that, I love the message version, it was written for people from Bradford, by the way, but it says this, in Proverbs it says this, it says the world of the generous gets larger and larger. And it also says the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Your world will continue to get larger because of the generosity that you as a church show in this community and around the country. So keep on being generous and don't limit 
the larger and larger that God's got for you as a church. And thank you for the privilege of being able to speak to you today. You're great people. Carry on doing what you're doing.